If you have your Bibles this morning, please join me in the book of 1 John, chapter 5. We're going to be concluding our study of 1 John this morning. And I would like to begin by reading the text that we're going to be talking about this morning. It's the last few verses found in 1 John. Uh, before I do, however, um, I, I do want to let you know that I'm not at 100% today. I have been sick for quite some time, but nothing disgusting has happened to me since Friday. So I don't think I'm contagious or fevery or anything like that. I just, I just don't feel that well. So if you're looking forward to a hug today, no. No, today is not a great day to uh, be hugging on Pastor Josh. Maybe next week will be your day. Um, so if I seem a little less energetic or less joshy, uh, it is because I just honestly, I'm, I'm okay. Um, again, I'm all right, but um, there's just some days you have to put on your big boy pants, and, and, and today is one of those days, so this is what I'm doing today, so I appreciate you bearing with me a little bit today. Uh, would you join with me as I read the last few verses found in John's epistle called First John? He begins... Uh, for our text today in 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Continuing in verse 19, we know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one, we are in the true one, that is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. John begins his book by reminding his readers of his close, intimate relationship with Jesus. And then chapter 2 begins with him saying, My little children, my dear ones, my lovelies, uh, my dear hearts. And he continues that tone throughout the book where he's talking about what it means to be a Christian in the first century church. He gives them a few warnings, and he gives them a lot of encouragement. One of the big themes in the book of 1 John is the assurance that we as Christians, or as he, uh, his parishioners could have, is of their faith in Jesus Christ, and how they can withstand temptations and trials and stand strong. Because we know that they were looking at the imminent passing of the last remaining apostle. That there were 12 men who were called of Jesus to follow him during his time on earth. John was the last one. And the church was going to begin a new phase of its life, the post-apostolic phase, or the phase of the church, the age of the church, and going into this time was going to be frightening for them. They didn't have the same level of authority available to them that they thought they were going to have. And what John is pouring into them is that, oh, yes, you do, because you too share with me this close, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. And throughout the book, again, he's referring to them as my dear hearts, my little ones, my sweeties, my children. He concludes his epistle by saying there are three things that you guys know. One of the things that is kind of cool about pastors, and John is taking advantage of this, is because of his pastoral perspective, there are certain things that only he can say. There are certain subjects to which he is the best qualified to speak about. He is the one who is with them uh, when they make their decisions of faith. He is the one who has been with them when they make their decisions for baptism. He is the one that is there uh, presiding over their wedding. He's the one who's been there presiding over 
and blessings and dedication of their children into the life of the church. He's the one who is busy with them when they are ill. He's the one celebrating with them when they get promotions at work. He's the one praying for them when they're being demoted at work or they lose their jobs. He's the one praying with them and giving them counsel when their marriage is on the rocks. He is the one who is giving them wisdom and counsel when their kids are making poor choices. He is the one who is there for all of that. And so that means he's seen some things that the average person in his church hasn't seen. He has been before his Savior Jesus on behalf of his people in all of these situations that we will consider normal pastoral responsibilities and more. Which means he gets to say stuff that other people in the church just probably can't say, at least not with the same authority. And that's what John is saying here. I was at a funeral for a good friend of mine on Thursday. He's 54 years old, died of brain cancer after an 18-month battle. And three men stood up and said things about him that only they could say. I was a good friend with this guy. But after starting River Church and a number of other things, our lives took us down different paths, and I hadn't been with him for the past five or ten years of his life. Loved him to death, but it was one of those friends that I was not in close contact with. These three guys were in close physical contact with my friend. And they were able to stand up during his funeral and give beautiful testimony and say things that only they could say. This is what's happening right here as John is concluding his epistle called First John. He says, My lovelies, my dear hearts, my honeys, my sweeties, my little children, my guys, there's three things that you know. There's three things that I know that are true of you, and you need to know them as well. The first thing he says that we know is that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. I, I would like to share with you guys one of my favorite practices, oftentimes it's incorporated as part of my devotions, when I come across a passage of Scripture that doesn't seem immediately clear to me. There's an awful lot that John taps into this first thing that we feel that he says we're supposed to know. And I read that verse and I'm like, I'm not so sure I know all that I'm supposed to know. When I read something like, we know that everyone who is born of God does not sin. But the one who is born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. That's, that, there's an awful lot of theology packed into that verse. One of the things that I will do when I, I need to see theology lived out practically, what, what, what does this actually look like in somebody's life, is I will turn to the book of Psalms. Because one of the most adventurous lives in Scripture that we can see, one of the men who was known as a man after God's own heart, yet deeply flawed, was King David. And his songs, his poems that he set to music before the Lord, at least for me, help me understand sometimes passages of scripture that I know are dense with theology, but I don't know what that actually looks like in a real person's life. And David illustrates it for me. Let me give you an example of this. If, if you want to keep your finger in 1 John chapter 5, that's fine. I do not have these verses on the screen, but I'm turning to Psalm chapter 20. Listen to what David writes here. May Yahweh answer you in a day of trouble. May the name of Jacob's God protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and sustain you from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your bird's offering. Tune in especially here to the next few verses. May he give you what your heart desires and fulfill your whole purpose. 
Let us shout for joy at your victory and lift the banner in the name of our God. May Yahweh fulfill all of your requests. David is writing as the king of Israel, and during these past few verses, it's almost as if there's a choir singing around him, praying this on behalf of their king. May he give you what your heart desires and fulfill your whole purpose. Let us, those who are viewing your life, King David, shout for joy at your victory and lift the banner in the name of our God. May Yahweh fulfill all of your requests. It continues, Now I know that the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with mighty victories from his right hand. And then this verse, which almost all of us have seen before. Some take pride in chariots and others in horses, but we take pride in the name of Yahweh, our God. For me, that kind of helps wrap my head a little bit around what John is writing, because what John is describing, if I were to summarize it in a word, we know that everyone has been born of God and does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. If I had to summarize that in one word, I would say that John is saying that we should know that we have been rescued, that we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, and that we have been rescued. But what does that actually look like? It looks like what David is writing about here in Psalm 20. May he give you what your heart desires and fulfill your whole purpose. Let us shout for joy at your victory and lift the banner in the name of our God. May Yahweh fulfill all of your requests. I know that the Lord gives victory to his anointed. And now when I read these psalms, I know that David wrote them, and he's writing from his perspective, but it sounds like he's saying things about himself that just, like, wow. <laughs> You have a high opinion of yourself. Uh, you are a special flavor of unicorn. And then I say, Josh, but it's in the scripture. It's inspired. The Holy Spirit inspired this text. David is writing from a place of sincerity and truth. And so I know that the initial context is David writing about his life, and this is his actual experience, where he feels like the Lord has empowered him to have victory or to be rescued in every area of his life. But then, as we read through the Psalms, and we think, and we have that thought, like, well, surely there must be more going on in the text beyond just the victory of a king that lived thousands of years ago. And the answer is yes, the Lord has inspired the text to mean other things as well. Because while sometimes I feel a little funny uh, giving to David the credit that he seems to take for himself, I have no problem when I think of Jesus reading these words. And so one of my favorite devotional practices is to picture a young man named Jesus who has not begun his ministry yet, who has access to his local synagogue, to the Psalms and the prophets. This was his Bible. Reading the text as if it's a letter from his dad, helping him understand who he was, who he is, and who he was supposed to be. And so now, let's read the same words, except this time, let's imagine Jesus reading these words and thinking, these, these words sound like they apply to someone greater than David. <laughs> because they do. May he give you what your heart desires and fulfill your whole purpose. Let us shout for joy at your victory and lift the banner in the name of our God. 
May Yahweh fulfill all of your requests. Now I know that the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven and mighty victories from his right hand. And now we read that and we're like, oh, okay, that gives us some insight into Jesus. That gives us some insight into his ministry. That gives us some insight into his teaching. Because, I don't know about you, but I have a greater sense of peace. I have a greater sense of understanding when I read those words and think, wow, okay, they were absolutely true of David, for sure. He wrote them. He's talking about his own experiences, granted. He is illustrating godly concepts here, but who fulfilled it? I mean, come on. Who is this stuff really about? And, and I have tremendous peace to say, well, it's about Jesus and his relationship with his Father. And that when Jesus makes requests, God is answering from heaven. And that Jesus' ministry was empowered, that Jesus was rescued by his Father. And then to kind of close the loop, well, what is John saying to his people? John is saying, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Well, that doesn't always feel like my experience, but when I place my faith in Jesus, now I'm kind of more aligned with the text, and I have some, a sense of peace of what is possible in my life. That I don't have to live a life that is defined by sin. That I have been rescued from my sin. That obedience is a joy. That obedience is a blessing. That the evil one will not have any authority over my life. The evil one didn't have any authority over Jesus' life, and I'm placing my faith in him. I think this is what John is saying. I mean, he packs an awful lot into one little verse, but sometimes I will turn to the Psalms and try to find an illustration from the life of David that leads me to a thought process about Jesus that then by faith I can step into and I can approach this kind of a verse with more confidence. What are the kinds of things that only I can say about River Church in light of this particular passage? We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. And if I choose to illustrate it with Psalm chapter 20, how has the Lord given us our heart's desires and fulfilled our whole purposes? How are we shouting for joy at the victory that the Lord is accomplishing through his church, River Church? And I can't help but point out things like, well, it sounds a little silly, but man, it's amazing and truly unique we have the princess party coming up. I put out like three things on Facebook. We have 50 families signed up. That's a fifth of the people who are coming. If, if this year is anything like the years past, we normally have 200 to 250 girls come on that day. It doesn't make sense to me, people. Like, I know that I only have boys and, you know, I don't understand the girl thing and, 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 and there's my mom and that's amazing and I love her and I... I get her to a certain degree, and there's my wife, and she's amazing, and I get her, but the rest of all y'all are just complete mysteries. But something about dresses and cupcakes and dancing and the power of being a young woman who, who's making decisions for herself and is celebrating all that that means. I cry almost every year at that goofy thing. There's a powerful dynamic there. The Lord is blessing that event. The Lord is moving powerfully through River Church. People, that is a victory. There is no other church in eastern Connecticut, and I would, if I knew more about the rest of the state, I would say the state 
that is experiencing that kind of victory where we open our doors that aren't even our doors and people come and we join them in celebrating their little ones and we link it to the gospel. God, people, that is powerful. And then we do it with mud in the fall. And the same number come out. It's a different crew. Sometimes it's the same crew, but not often. Usually it's a different crew. And I see things that I can't explain. I see how the Lord has rescued us from the sin of not being engaged in our community. And he's accomplishing a victory there. So much so that within five, barely six years of starting services, we're going to underwriting this week, people, to sign a note that's going to facilitate us to build a building in the heart of Jewish city. Six years ago, that wasn't even heard of. Nobody knew the property was there. It was an embarrassment to the town. The Lord is, is doing great and mighty things through River Church. And I don't mean to blow our own horn, but I do want to sound a little bit like David. Like, look at what God is doing. And people are seeing. It's obvious that God is doing something here. And so we should continue to be brave and we should continue to forsake our sin, to take joy in how we've been rescued, and be bold with the opportunities that the Lord has given us, understanding that as we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, according to this text, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. River Church, let's be away with sin. But the one who is born of God keeps him. That would be Jesus Christ. He's perfectly capable of keeping us. And the evil one definitely doesn't touch him. And he's not going to touch us either. Not without the sovereign care of our Lord. First John chapter 5, verse 18. The first thing that we know, the first thing that John says to his loved ones, the things that only a pastor can say to his people. He continues, We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Well, there is a lot of tension in that verse right there. Verse 19, We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. What John is saying here, if I was summarize it in a word, is that we have been reborn. We are citizens of this planet, but we are not of this planet. We know that we are of God. And that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. So there is going to be some tension. He says, we know that we are rescued. He says, we also know that we are reborn, that we live in the reality of living on a place that has not been reborn. We have been, praise the Lord for that, but we live somewhere that has not. Well, what does this look like in the real world? And so I, I look at Psalm 21, the next psalm. If you had your Bible, you can join me there and see for yourself. We find things like this written in beginning in verse 4. David is speaking uh, of himself. Well, let me just begin with verse 1. Lord, the king finds joy in your strength. How greatly he rejoices in your victory. You have given him his heart's desire and have not denied the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You place a crown of pure gold on his head. Listen to this. He asked you for life and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great throughout your victory. 
You confer majesty and splendor on him. You give him blessings forever. You cheer him with joy in your presence. For the king relies on the Lord through the faithful love of the Most High. He is not shaken. And it continues. <laughs> and again, you read this and you're like, hey, holy cow, man. Woo! Like, wasn't it enough that you got a crown of pure gold put on your head and you have to ask for eternal life too? And you got it. And we know that the Lord made an eternal covenant with David and said there will always be one of your descendants who will rule over my people, ultimately fulfilled through Jesus. And so David is just really bold and confident in, in, in that he experienced the promise of eternal life. He was rescued from very real dangers in his life. He celebrated that in Psalm 20. And here he is describing how he has been reborn. He asked you for life, and you gave it to him, length of days, forever and ever. You give him blessings forever. You cheer him with joy in your presence. And so, you know, we read that, and we're like, wow, that would be amazing to feel like David. And then we think to ourselves, woo! But how much more does this apply to Jesus? And, and again, the, the text just makes a lot of sense when we view it through a lens of Jesus reading this and describing the confidence that he has of having eternal life with his Father. And then we know, following the logic train through, that by faith we can have that same confidence. Listen to where the text goes, however, in Psalm 20. Because there's a lot of tension in 1 John verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 19, we know that we are of God. And the psalmist David saying, I know that I have eternal life. And we would say amen to that. And Jesus obviously did, and by faith we do through Jesus. And the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Listen to where the text goes. Verse 8 of chapter 20 of Psalm 21. Your hand will capture all your enemies. Your right hand will seize those who hate you. And honestly, it goes on to be a very graphic description of how David is going to deal with his enemies, or how David is hoping that the Lord is going to deal with his enemies. And then you start thinking this through a Jesus lens as well, and you're like, is Jesus going to deal with his enemies that way? Like, is there going to be a time where the enemies of the world that do not acknowledge Jesus are going to be dealt with? And honestly, I don't want to read it because it's, there's children present, and this is a, a G-rated sermon, and, and God is very serious about the fact that he is going to deal with the evil that is in the world. I want to show you one picture that I just think is so... Listen to this verse, verse 12 of, chapter, of Psalm 21. Though they intend to harm you and devise a wicked plan, they will not prevail. Instead, you will put them to flight when you aim your bow at their faces. That's scripture. That's in your Bible, people. Basically, this is David saying, my God is going to defend my cause. I have eternal life with him. It's as if my enemies are walking around and God has an arrow on the string pointing it at their face. And I don't really need to do anything about my enemies because there's a bow and arrow pointed at their face by God. Like, that's an eternally secure position. Like, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. 
What kind of confidence did that give Jesus going to the cross, that it was going to be okay? We know that he had the Psalms in his mind as he was going towards his ultimate sacrifice. Is it true that God will move on behalf of his people, that he will deal with the enemies of his people? The answer is yes. And so not only do his people have eternal salvation and eternal security, they also have the Lord watching out for them. So much so that it would actually be silly for us to go after any of our enemies if the Lord has a bow and arrow pointed at their left eyeball. We would all say that he's probably more capable of knowing when to release that arrow than we are. And that the results of his justice will be far greater than anything we can see to our enemies. John, there's a lot of tension in this verse right here, and the best way I know how to illustrate it is to have, have David help us a little bit. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. What are we supposed to do about that? Well, we're supposed to understand that by faith we have eternal life in Jesus Christ, and that the Lord understands who our enemies are, and he has a plan for that as well. And that we can just stay focused on delighting in the Lord and praying for our enemies. It's ridiculous the status that John is conferring onto his listeners that I'm hopefully illustrating through Psalm 20 and Psalm 21. And then by way of conclusion, I'd like to share with you where John concludes his book and where the text goes in the book of Psalms if we just continue following the thread. Finally, in 1 John chapter 5, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. If I were to summarize what John is saying in these last two verses, specifically verse 20, I would say that John is emphasizing his relationship with Jesus. His people, his parishioners, have been rescued. They have been reborn. They have hope of eternal life and security in them. And they have a relationship with Jesus. <laughs> if you've been following along in, in Psalms, and, and this is just my devotional effort at illustrating a difficult text to interpret, to really make it practical. But do you see where Psalm 22 goes? Have you jumped ahead a little bit? I'm going to say four words, and you're going to be like, what? My God, my God. And you can probably fill in the blank. That's Psalm 22. Psalm 20 is this, the Lord gives you victory at every turn. He answers every single one of your requests. Psalm 21 is, and my request, by the way, is eternal life. And the answer is yes. And I'm pointing a bow and arrow at the face of your enemies. And so it, it, it sounds like, after reading Psalm 20 and 21, and it sounds like, after reading the very end of the conclusion of John's epistle, is that it's just rainbows and unicorns and lollipops for Christians. But I don't think that's what John is saying, because he says that we're rescued, he says that we're reborn, and he also says that we have a very real relationship with the Son of God, and He has come to give us understanding. There's not much to understand about unicorns and rainbows, people. 
There's not much to understand about who gives you everything you've ever asked for, including eternal life. Those are pretty simple things to understand. So what is John talking about? And again, I think maybe the best illustration is found in the life of David. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you, rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. Here's my best understanding of why John says we need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ so that we can understand what God is doing in our life. And that is because... John is painting a picture of his listeners as being the dearly beloved ones, which they are. But I think he's also reminding them that the dearly beloved ones are asked to live a life of sacrifice. That they are asked to live a life where they leverage their highly secure, cherished position on behalf of those who don't have it yet. Because this is what we see in Psalm 20, Psalm 21, and Psalm 22. How on earth do we go from someone feeling like they have all their prayers answered all the time and that they are granted eternal life and then they feel like they are forsaken by God? And we know that these are the words that Jesus shared with us on the cross. And so the answer is, is that, well, there must have been a time in David's life where he leveraged his authority, his security, the relationship that he had with God for somebody else, then maybe it went well, maybe it didn't, but it felt like he was abandoned. We, we know clearly, it's hard to even read these words from David's perspective because we know that Jesus referred to them on the cross. And so we know that Jesus, too, must have leveraged his high secure position with his Father, who was ready and willing and available to answer any of his prayers at any moment, but his requests were made on behalf of those who did not have the same privilege, high status. So much so, that it's possible, it felt like Jesus was abandoned by his Father. Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? I cry day by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I have no rest. You are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you, rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. John says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. And when we hang out with Jesus, we are going to find that those of us with the secure, loving relationship with the Father are going to be asked to leverage it on behalf of those who don't. Little children, guard yourself from idols. It's John's way of saying, stay away from false stuff. <laughs> stay where it's real. And sometimes you're going to need the understanding that comes from knowing that we have been rescued, we have been reborn, and we have a relationship with Jesus that carries us through difficult times, that sufferings, Jesus' sufferings specifically, were redemptive, and ours be as well. And so by way of conclusion, that's really what I have for you this morning. Final thought. 
empowered with our favored status, we are on mission in enemy territory with an eternal message. Because the church has been rescued, the church has been reborn, and the church has a relationship. This is going to be a year of great rejoicing for River Church for the reasons that I've already mentioned. It is also going to be a year of great sacrifice for River Church. We are literally leveraging everything so that we may have our own facility that we can share it with the community that never asked us to be here. But yet, by God's favor, is still not And so this year, we're going to have the opportunity. We have 100 volunteers coming the second week of June. We have another 100 volunteers coming the fourth week of June. We have about 30 more volunteers coming the second week of July. And we have lots of work going on with the equipment and bed for every back. There are going to be Sundays this summer where our attendance is doubled because that many people are coming to help us build what the Lord has paved the way for. We don't have enough chairs. I have no idea what we're going to do those days. We are going to be overwhelmed with the provision and the kindness of the Lord on our behalf saving us hundreds of thousands of dollars. But don't think for a second that it's so that we can enjoy ourselves and not share the Lord's kindness with us. Because Jesus is going to give us greater and greater understanding in how we may leverage our secure and favored status with Him for our community. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we've had in the book of 1 John. Thank you for the church that John was able to lead. Thank you for the words that he was able to share as he sought to comfort people he loved, knowing that he wasn't always going to be there with him. Father, I pray that as we have spent this time the past few months studying this book, that it would resonate in our hearts with the love that we have for you and the love that we have for each other. Father, I pray that in this year, a year of historic blessing for River Church, which is also going to be a year of historic triumph for River Church, that we would remember it as a year that our love grew for each other and our community. Yes, we